0: So, Matt, what up? What do you get when you cross corn, Christianity, and then you slap it across the face with eight years of musical maturity? Hmm. That's a good question. What's that? You get perfectly preserved by love and death. Ayo! (laughs) What is up, guys? My name is Gabe. I'm Matt. And this is Tentacle Bop. And today, we're going to be reviewing Perfectly Preserved by Love and Death. Um... Yeah, I like this album. I was a fan of their first album, and uh, this was kind of uh, nice to hear from them again. I was not anticipating this. How'd you feel about it? I absolutely love the record, to be completely honest. I had a hard time
1: going and listening to any of the other records that we were talking about possibly listening to. It's just this album ended up just
0: taking so much of my attention. Okay, very cool. Um, Yeah, so I... uh Used to know the guitarist and kind of like co-frontman JR back in the day. And um, so I was like on the hype train from day one whenever they released Between Here and Lost and their mm-hmm. Chemical EP back in 2011, 2012, that area. Okay. Um, and back then it was really just Brian Welch and the rest of the band. It was like his show. It was his thing. And I feel like in this album, in the eight years between now and then, we've seen them all kind of come forward and – be actually a collective, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of neat to hear. Um, they introduce a new bassist and a new drummer. One of them's from uh, one of them's from Breaking Benjamin. The other one's uh, from somewhere else. I can't even remember at the moment. Oh, wow. So it's almost like a,
1: a little bit of a supergroup kind almost, of thing with yeah. it.
0: Yeah, like that, that's kind of what it's been formed into. Um, and we see uh, JR, the guitarist and the other vocalist, he kind of takes a little bit more of a hands-on approach Uh, with everything and kind of ends up being more of a co-front man Mm -hmm. with the band. Um, And I feel like that really has helped the band to kind of stand up on its own rather than just leaning on the success that Brian Welcher brought into it to begin with.
1: Yeah, and I think the the dynamic between the two is it definitely added a lot to the sound. Um, One of the things I noticed is and I think it was actually Brian's voice, is it reminded me a lot of Adam, uh, formerly of Three Days Grace, and a little bit of aspects of the vocalist of Seether um, mm-hmm. as I got a little bit of vibes off of that. So having that kind of rough, almost um, almost gruff sound from his voice along with the occasional screaming vocal he did, along with JR's, um, and not to say he was a high-pitched vocalist, but higher pitch mm-hmm. than Brian, is I think having that sort of contrast really helped to bring Um, just make this song sound better. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, musically, like we, we see a very, um, healthy growth between the first album, which is between Here and Lost and this album. Um, we see more like an emphasis put on like the layers in the music itself rather Mm -hmm. than just like the individual's writing and everything else just kind of piecing it together. Like this felt like it was actually a cohesive writing process, um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, like in between here and Lost, the band is really just an extension of Head. It's just, mm-hmm. it's his band. It was his big return after leaving Corn. And then uh, here in Perfectly Preserved, we actually just see it entirely as a unique specimen. And then we're able to expect more to come from the band instead of just more to come from what Brian's doing. Right. Yeah. And I. One of the things, you know, and I, unfortunately I didn't have
1: much of a, a frame of reference kind of going into this is I was pretty much coming into Love and Death with this record, is I felt a lot of vibes of kind of a, a metalcore band attempting to do rock radio, but also having a little bit of trying to keep loyal to their origins. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might've just been because some of the riffs were brought up with a little bit more of the corn vibe because it is Brian. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was probably what kind of gave it that little bit more metal core vibe. Uh, but they definitely did have some heavy aspects, but they were able to also pull it back in certain aspects. And I think they, just the, the balance of it, I, I really couldn't find that much that I didn't like about it. It's very, very minimal.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, how did you feel lyrically about the album?
1: Lyrically, um, is it felt? It felt like there were a lot of songs, kind of looking at, uh, like insightful. Um, so it's kind of looking inward, um, kind of trying to tackle some kind of things going on inside, and it's almost like a battle of some sort. Um, a lot of aspects of that um i can't really provide anything they did have a cover on the record which i definitely you know we will make mm-hmm. sure to go through um and it's it it's kind of cool because it also leaves it open for interpretation um but they don't as opposed to when like when we went over um it's a, a little bit similar to how when we talked about architects mm-hmm. is it felt a lot like that but it's a little more in your face about what the meaning is and it's not quite as here it's it's like it, it's not having you think as much kind of thing it's a little more in your face with the meaning mm-hmm.
0: yeah the the songs are a lot more straightforward than like in, in bands that we've covered here on the podcast in the past um we follow like it's the expected content of what head and love and death's previous material were like about heartbreak and tragedy with the dark twist and um kind of uh brian's journey with Christianity. Um, so it's not like very, uh, fervent with eloquent metaphors and everything like that, but it is very straight to the point. It means, uh, exactly what it says. And it's a, a very good glimpse at what, um, the songwriters are, are doing, which, um, with this album and reading the, uh, the Apple music interview with Brian, the, seemed like really the whole band was a part of the writing process. So obviously, JR and Brian are, mm-hmm. are a little bit more of the forefront on the songs that are being written, but Jason uh, even wrote a couple songs on here as well. Okay. Uh, I think he's the bassist, if I remember correctly.
1: And honestly, what might have ended up being the case is because it was a, a more cohesive record and having a little bit more collaboration within the group, mm-hmm. is I think that's what also really helped this record to really thrive and end up being as good as it was.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, how did you uh, interpret the the album art?
1: I it was kind of neat. Um, so to kind of to kind of give it a, give a description is it's a woman um, sitting in the fetal position, stuck in a jar, and in the label is it said spec I believe it said specimen number two. Um, and the the background is it is it almost looks like the jar sitting on a, a countertop with a, a kind of an off yellow colored wall mm-hmm. um and especially after looking at the vote or the lyrics of the record is it almost seems like the um it almost doesn't seem like it really has a tie into it. The only thing that I could think of maybe is the fact that it's because it's such a kind of inward or introspective record is it's kind of trying to go at this idea like this is the story of this specific specimen um, being the self. And then the specimen number two may indicate because it is their second full length. um, And that's just kind of taking it at face value. And then a little bit of the lyrics is that's kind of what I got out Mm -hmm. of it
0: yeah well i i took the interpretation a little bit differently um so like obviously with that description it's uh kind of uh almost not i wouldn't say morbid but at the same time it's kind of a little bit of a haunting image like yeah the the fact that somebody would be preserved and what is presumably formaldehyde yeah um to be preserved in that in that format um the way that i looked at it in reading some more interviews with brian i forget which source i think it was kerrang or uh, uh loudwire but he was discussing how when he had uh, first left corn and first converted to Christianity, he kind of went a little bit too heavy into it and became more of an obsession for him Mm -hmm. instead of it being a a healthy transition. He went so far into it that he burned a lot of bridges as well. Mm -hmm. And so as a result of that, um, and then when he went out and and did Love and Death, uh, the the first album, and again, it was more just of an extension of him and his stories and his songs that he had written and just having a a band associated with it. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like, This album was kind of more along the lines of preserving the the fervent fire that he had, while being able to maintain it in a much more healthy manner. Um, So he was preserving what he had, but at the same time he's still able to reference it and continue moving forward with it and maturing with it as he needs to.
1: Hmm. Okay, and that that's actually kind of an interesting way to kind of look at it. Um, And honestly, just be you know, it it sounds like you would kind of looked into a few more things that, you know, kind of there's some of the backstory and kind of going into the record. I didn't really have that insight. So that may have also provided kind mm-hmm. of your perspective on it.
0: Yeah. The, uh, the number two uh, specimen number two, I probably would associate that to it being the second record. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know that for sure, but that would, that would personally would be, it's a, it, it yeah. seems like a
1: likely candidate for yeah. what it was. So yeah, I know I can get behind that. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, let's uh go ahead and start jumping into the uh, overall breakdown of the tracks on the album. Uh, starting off, we have Infamy, which is going to be a, a very quiet, uh, low uh like ramping kind of track what did you feel Mm -hmm. about that i honestly
1: i i absolutely find this to be a a great way to start the record and just how it was done um i believe it was all jr who did the vocals on that one just Mm -hmm. it was a, a little bit of a higher octave than um what we would see of brian and i would actually put this along the um Along the great intros of similar songs are like Dead Throne by The Devil Wears Prada or even Awakening by Bless the Fall, where it's just that build. And it's just it leads right into the next song and just screaming out the gate. And it's just an absolutely fantastic start to the record. And my attention was completely taken at that point.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely an interesting way to begin the album and more kind of feels like a prologue would. Yeah. Um we discussed this last week when we were discussing the Architect's album. Like they had a very similar introduction yep. with uh with the Armageddon and it just it's a common thing that we see, but at the same time it feels uncommon enough that it actually adds an element to the album. Mm-hmm. And it definitely sets the tone for this one. I think with the with Infamy, the only
1: thing that it does that some doesn't i don't believe was expanded as much is it felt a little bit more eerie than some of the other tracks Mm -hmm, definitely is where everything else felt a little bit more um just kind of a not you know for a lack of a better way of saying it like a generic rock it this provides a very kind of dark haunting kind of eerie vibe where you almost feel uneasy Mm -hmm. but you're so entranced by it you're like I, I want more of it. Yeah, so. it was very
0: hallowing yet peaceful at the same time. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think, I think JR's voice did a really good job about providing that kind of peace um, and kind of providing that like, oh, it's not too bad kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and, and this is the first time that we really get to, to experience him as a forefront vocalist. He did some very background stuff on the first record and then was doing uh, uh, secondary vocalist stuff uh, mm-hmm. during their live shows and stuff like that as well. Um, but this time we're actually being able to see him more as a forefront of a vocalist, and Mm -hmm. I I feel like it's a really good change for them that is going to lead to them doing more and better as they progress on throughout their career as a band. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was a good one. So we'll jump right in then to track number two called Tragedy, Um, and honestly, this just sets the stage for how the rest of the record's going to go. You're going to start to kind of see the... um, sort of formula that they're going to run with. Um, but they definitely go and kind of take that formula, but they are able to diverge off of it. So it doesn't just sound like copy and pasted songs all the way through.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- this very much feels like a song that would have come off of Behear- between here and lost Okay, um, just all the way through it. It features heads voice almost exclusively um, in the, the dissonant riff, the riffs that he and uh, Jr Compose. Uh, it, it's a solid start to the album after Anthony, and it's a good indication of like what's to come. Like you had said, it really sets the tone well for the mm-hmm. rest of the album, and that ending breakdown slaps.
1: Yeah, w- oh.
0: that, that breakdown was definitely a really big note on yeah. on that one, yeah, and he, he just it, comes down with that feed me, and then just breaks yep. down and just like slows down and continues to slow down, and I just I can imagine that just being just a head crusher in a pit. Yeah, no,
1: that I feel like the a really good way to start a show would probably be
0: doing Infamy, going right into Tragedy. I think that would be a really good way to start a show. Absolutely. Yeah. And then um, it goes into Down, which uh, is my f- second favorite song on the album. Um, it was technically the first single on the album, but technically the second. Mm-hmm. Um, the first single on the album was Low Lamento, which we'll get to here in a bit um but that released back in like 2016 when they actually announced that they were going to be doing this album oh, okay. this is the first single that actually came out for it um the chorus is super catchy and mm-hmm. the riff the riff is just awesome it it's very indicative of what love and death does and what they can do but it's still at the same time still keeping it fresh enough that it's going to be a unique song, yeah. I and it, so funny enough is actually after you and I had
1: sat down and started talking about the records that we wanted to go over is right after it was maybe within a couple of days is I actually heard this on the radio and I was sitting there and at the beginning is it's just the the chorus and it's just really soft and you can kind of hear that it almost was like there were some effects on it and I was sitting there and I was like. Is Adam formerly of Three Days Grace? Is he in a new band? And I shazammed the song, and sure enough, it was <laughs> down by Love and Death. Um, so immediately, I kind of you know, and before I really dug into any of the the history on this, is I didn't. I was like, oh, is Adam in a new band? But you know, it's the, throughout the song, I was like, this doesn't sound like him. Um, so that was that ended up being my first exposure, and I really ended up liking this song. This one probably is the probably most memorable song on the record um I don't know how I would place it at, in regards to
0: favorites it would definitely be top three though mm-hmm. absolutely um that being said I'm pretty sure we both agree on this next one uh their cover of let me love you that originally by DJ snake and Justin Bieber best song on the record absolutely and the <laughs> he, here's the thing with this the, this cover I
1: love the song so much. I hate that it's on the record. And the reason I say that is because it takes so much of the attention on the record that it almost feels like everything else doesn't quite hit it in a way. Yeah. Um. And if I feel like if Love and Death would have actually just released this as a single separate from the record is I think that would have ended up just being the better move um just again because I feel like it just takes all of the attention away from the the rest of the record and honestly having Lacey Sturm on the on the song actually added a, a an element to it that I really was a big fan of
0: yeah absolutely there, there there's a few things that are uh that are that characterize a good cover the relation to the the original the creativity and the musical craft behind it. the The mm-hmm. cover here is distinctly love and death, while still being a clear representation of the original. Um, it's leaps and bounds ahead of their first cover, which they did "Whip It" by Devo on their first album. Okay, and uh, I personally wasn't a fan of it. I a I hate the original song, and b just it was a very weird song for them to cover. Mm-hmm. I I respect them for. Trying it, and I know some people do enjoy that. It just personally wasn't for me, but this one here was just phenomenal, and it really kind of shows off what JR is capable of doing with vocals. Yeah, because this is almost exclusively him outside of the the featuring from Lacey Stern, right? Again, like you said, added a different element to it, but was a good element to it. Yeah, and I think especially when
1: they at the end where Lacey and JR kind of trade off because you hear JR coming with the I don't you give up, and you hear Lacey coming with the na 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 bit, yeah. is it like, like that was just a really, really clean way of, of doing that ending bit and also be having that collaboration. And then also having the screaming vocals done by Brian mm-hmm. um, along with it is it's just having everything just kind of coming together and really showing off the, the capabilities. Honestly, if I actually knew how to sing is I would actually want to try and do a cover of this. Cause it's,
0: I, I, I it's just that good. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, it, it's my favorite song on the record. And I, I do have to agree with you. I'd rather this have been released as a single mm-hmm. just so it didn't detract from the album because it feels like it was done so well that it kind of leaves some of the other tracks and it just in the dust. Yeah. No. I, and and unfortunately, that's just kind of uh,
1: my, my opinion on it. And mm-hmm. it's. You know, we could probably end up spending another five, ten minutes just (laughs) praising this song. So I'll just kind of interrupt and kind of jump us into the next one, which is Death of Us. And I got to say, the dynamic changes in this song were absolutely fantastic. Is Going from this really soft to this heavy but slower portion and then a chorus that just brings everything up. Um, I will say one of my critiques, and it might have just been the... Um, kind of enunciation of it, but when Brian comes in and screams the, let me go, let me go, I can live another day, is it seems like it's, if he would have held the words a little bit longer, so if it would have been a little bit more of a, let me go, let me go, I can live another day, is kind of stretching out the the enunciation of the words might have made, um, made it a little bit more appealing to the ears. Is it almost... The best way I can kind of think of describing it is it almost felt choppy and it kind of felt weird with just the the vocal delivery
0: of it. Mm-hmm. See, I'm actually on the opposite side of that. I actually like the way that the vocal delivery was done. I feel like it's kind of Brian's way of calling back to what he did in Korn. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like Korn's uh, weird animal noises that Jonathan Davis does are going to be a little Ooh, bit wow. different. Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so like it's kind of like a callback of that where it's still gonna be Brian distinctly doing his own thing, mm-hmm. but it's reminiscent of what he did with Corn back twenty some odd years ago yeah. or thirty some odd years ago, however long it's been, and it um it really kind of shows that he's doing his own thing. He can still call back to it, but it's still gonna be uniquely him for anybody yeah. new who's listening to them who hadn't heard of. Uh, love and death before who hasn't heard of corn before they're going to recognize that and it's still going to be something that's going to be familiar for folks right
1: yeah and that that does make a little bit of sense is and it might just be because of the and i i do know kind of who corn is and i've listened to some of their material but i think it's just kind of the background of bands i listen to is having vocals that are that short Unless it's something where it's a little bit more wrapped, as I feel like that's where I kind of prefer it, but in that situation, as I kind of prefer personally, is having the, the enunciation just dragged out a little mm-hmm.
0: bit. Yeah, so, I mean, Brian and corn they were kind of one of the, the few forefronts of... New metal, and mm-hmm. and that's a, a very big characteristic of new metal is going to be a lot of those staccato, raspy, kind of gnarly vocals mm-hmm. that you're going to see. So we kind of see the same thing. We see the staccato vocals that Limp Bizkit does. We see yep. the staccato vocals that we see with like Mudvayne and and and, uh, and, and so on. Like these bands that they kind of have this distinct vocal style that's uh, derivative of new metal. And mm-hmm. so with even though that Love and Death isn't a new metal band, it's still going to pull some of those things in there because that's really what brian did for 30 some odd years yeah, exactly and so I, I i'm okay with it like i said this song overall it's a classic love and death song mm-hmm. again it would fit right in line with uh what was on between here and lost it just is a a, a healthy growth mm-hmm. um we see the the good ju- juxtaposition between uh jr and head and it really kind of shows again the the band's emerging as a band and not head side project anymore yeah Cool. Moving on to Slow Fire, uh, this personally is my least favorite song on the record. It just was kind of boring to me and didn't really feel like a lot of value in my listen to the record. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about it?
1: I ended up um, kind of finding that the instrumentals seemed to kind of maintain uh, the same sort of energy all the way through, uh, while the vocals kind of provided a little bit of kind of allowing for the song to change a little bit. I did feel like it was a little bit of a lower point on the record or kind of going scraping, you know, I wouldn't say scraping the bottom of, you know, at least in my opinion, but kind of going towards the lower end of the record. And, you know, just unfortunately it's just after the, the point after that cover is it's hard to kind of keep that energy going, Mm -hmm. but I quite enjoyed the, the song. um, And, you know, it's, there wasn't anything about the song that really deterred me. It's just unfortunately just where it was at in the record felt a little bit um, just kind of, not lull, but you know, it, it just didn't quite capture the same energy as the, uh, as the cover. But I really don't have any complaints on the song other than that.
0: Yeah, same. And um, from there, it really does kick it up a notch with The Hunter. Um, so this one, it's featuring Keith Wallen pretty heavily, who's the um, newest vocalist for Breaking Benjamin. Oh, really? So, okay. Yeah, so um, Jason, who's the the bassist for Breaking Benjamin, uh, Jason Rock uh, is his name. Um, he's the bassist for Breaking Benjamin, and uh, he brought in Keith as they were writing this song, and um, he really kind of just takes the helm on it, and it, it definitely sets it apart on the rest of the record. Because just he's got these seething growls that just make it a standout song. Mm-hmm.
1: I ended up... So the song felt very full. Um, it didn't feel like there was any sort of moment where the song fe- felt like it was missing something. But personally, it was actually one of my lesser favorite songs. Really? Um, I just wasn't... I don't know what it was. I can't really put my finger on it. But it's just listening, listening through the song is... There wasn't there wasn't anything that really scr- was screaming out to me saying, this song is absolutely fantastic. It just didn't really have that kind of vibe for me. Um, Again, I I do appreciate some of the things that the song had, but unfortunately it just was, uh, I, I would kind of go so far as to say it was one of the forgettable ones, at least for me.
0: Yeah, I'm on the opposite end. This is one of the more memorable ones on the record for me. Um, I think it definitely was a strong offering. And again, it kind of just shows the evolution of the band. It shows... Uh, what would be a healthy and normal progression from a debut album to their sophomore album. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I feel like it handled that well. And I feel like it's setting everything up to be, to be properly handled whenever they hit album number three, whenever that'll be.
1: Yeah. And honestly, I feel like what may also be the issue is because I don't really have the earlier material to reference is I don't, you know, I can't really kind of voice my opinion on that sort of evolution um, I can just basically go off the, the fact that I know Head was formerly, and I think still is actively in Corn, just has this on the side. Um, and that's, you know, I just don't
0: have really that insight that further into kind of what they've done before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically um, Head left Corn right before they released that weird dubstep mix album. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was like 2010 or something like that. That sounds about right. Yeah. It, uh, Narcissistic Cannibal was like the only good song off of it. Yeah. Um, so they released that album. That was like the first album that they released without Head. Head went off um, after he left Korn um, due to his conversion to Christianity. And uh, he uh, did some solo stuff for a while. That's where he met JR and met a couple of the other guys that were in the original lineup of Love and Death. Mm-hmm. And they formed Love and Death, cr- wrote that album. And then as that album released, he rejoined Korn. Okay. Um, and so then he's been doing things with corn since as a result of that. And this, again, has just been more of a side project after that point.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and honestly, I wasn't really sure that this album was actually ever going to happen. I yeah, thought it was going to be kinda it, more just a one and done kind of thing. Yeah, I and mean, especially if the the first
1: single was released back in 2016 mm-hmm. or you know around that time, and it took this long, as I can completely understand that. Yeah, is, I then, would like, definitely be scared myself.
0: Yeah, because even then after that, I mean, the between here and lost came out in 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. Okay, oh and so it was going to be another three, four years before we get any new music or any inkling of an idea that they're gonna be doing anything. Mm-hmm. And in that time the other band members left and, and went on to be with different bands. So uh, Dan Johnson, who was the drummer at the time, he went off to go and uh play in Red. jr went off and played in Islander and he's still an active member of Spoken. Um so it really didn't seem like they were gonna be coming back together. And then when they released Down as a single and came back together with this, uh, and saying that they were gonna be doing this album it was really welcoming to hear and i'm hoping that they're going to continue to do more in uh, in the future here with it yeah and
1: hopefully it doesn't end up being a case where it you know takes another eight years for the record to come out because <laughs> like i i was so excited about listening to this record and um you know i, I was really happy with what i heard is i definitely would want to hear more from these guys
0: oh absolutely yeah and so i I definitely would recommend checking out between here and lost yeah if you like this stuff you'll definitely like their older stuff yeah and honest i'm super down for that absolutely so that so
1: now we can actually kind of go back to and we've alluded to it a couple of times now but low lamento which was the previously released single for the record which again was about 2016 based on what you had said Um, The first thing that I made a note of is the opening riff is that it's just a slapper. And I think you you definitely see I think this is where you really see head kind of do what he does and do well. And you definitely get that kind of corn vibe because of just what that riff is um another piece of evidence here they're just showing the band can go from soft verses to the more soaring choruses and just do it really well um and this is kind of a similar thing to what architects was when we reviewed that last week is you see that there are some bands that are able to take these this kind of new direction that a lot of bands are now starting to push into with these softer verses and then going into the big choruses there are some bands that can do it well there are some bands that just can't do it well. Love and Death is one of the bands that can do this really, really well,
0: and they prove it multiple times in this record. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. like the, the, They did a really good job of balancing between the softer lower parts and the verses, and then that just hard-hitting groove in the intro, the soaring choruses. It's it's one of my favorite choruses on the album. Um, even though it's not like really a favorite song of mine, Like the, the chorus itself was just... Had just this element to it that just is one of those things that you constantly being uh, mm. singing along to. Yeah. For however long to come.
1: Yeah. And I honestly, the I really enjoyed the melody of the chorus as well. It just wasn't as catchy as Down. I found the, the chorus of Down being stuck in my head mm-hmm. the most. Um, but the melody on this one was really good, and I think that was a, a good just a choice for having as a, a single to kind of introduce it. Um, I don't know if it just all the songs kind of came after this one or, you know, ha- where this came in the, the writing process, but it's a good introduction for the
0: record and kind of a good teaser. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, moving on, we uh, get into Affliction. Uh, this is another one of my top songs on the album. The chorus just hits different Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think this may end up
1: taking the spot as probably the heaviest song on the record. Mm-hmm. The drum work is just fantastic Absolutely. throughout the entire song. Um, just the, with the, the pre-chorus and how it was able to build the hype, um, just does a really, really good job into that. And it, it's almost as if it was a 180 that the, the energy did because uh, just how they, again, how they compose
0: it. But the breakdown. Oh, absolutely. That was fun. Oh my goodness. Oh yes. It was just top notch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I
1: love me some breakdowns, and this was definitely one of those breakdowns where I'm like, I'll take another, please. <laughs>
0: yeah. Pip-pips and it, I'll and take then another. just the uh, JR's voice really just carries the verses and post chorus riffs. Um we hear a lot more confidence behind Head and his vocals. Yeah. Because um, that was one thing that like after the after between here and lost uh had released is that head was talking about how he was just really wasn't comfortable as a vocalist Mm -hmm. and that it was really new territory for him and he just felt more comfortable behind a guitar which is to be expected especially after being in a band for 20 years where you just played guitar
1: yeah and honestly you know and it's that that's completely understandable is i i would imagine just because you know i i'm i don't know how much he had even done vocals just himself outside of Corn just says for fun, but I can completely understand that, and especially being as noto- not notorious, I don't... basically being as big. <laughs> as, I, I couldn't, I couldn't quite think of the word. I uh, kind of hit hit a point where I was like, okay, this is where I want to go. That's not where I wanted to go. As big of a, a person and as big of a persona as he has is he it's almost as if it's more eyes on him. Mm -hmm. So when with having that many eyes set on you is if you go and you trip over yourself and fail, it's going to be more noticeable. So I can understand his kind of fear of it, but definitely I think with this record and having the ability to, work as well as he did with jr is i think going into record three is that it's just going to be that much more confidence to really push him to to be an even more confident vocalist and be able to probably do even more with jr
0: yeah on between here and lost like you can tell that it's his first offering as a vocalist outside of his like solo stuff that he had done prior to which were basically an extension of what love and death is now okay um it's one of those things where he relied heavily on vocal effects to kind of just carry him through and it just allowed that with the, with mixing and and, and studio trickery to kind of help him get through that. Because as an ill confident vocalist, like that's something that the listeners are going to be able to tell yeah. this album. I mean, he's had eight years to work on it himself and it shows like we in every single one of the band members here, we see the actual growth that they've done. Yeah over the past 8 years and that was something really nice to see cuz like in the 8 years it took between uh Metallica's Death Magnetic and uh or and self Destruct Yeah exactly like, yep. or yeah like it just it was pretty obvious that they didn't really grow a lot as musicians and it, it, that was unfortunate like it was still going to be a, a standard Metallica record but at the same time like there wasn't noticeable growth because they've also had 40 years of backlog that they're they're not really doing much. I mean, yeah. Lars is still the same mediocre drummer that he has been and always will be, and Kirk Hammett still loves his wah pedal. <laughs> yeah, and
1: and as and and as being a Metallica fan is unfortunately I I stand by this statement with the, the Lars. I think the one thing that the eight years really provided for um for Metallica at least going into Hardwired is I believe it allowed them the chance to kind of really return to their roots. And mm-hmm. it's almost as if um, they were doing a sort of fusion of the early material and kind of fusing that with death magnetic. So really yeah. bringing back a lot of those thrash elements. Um, but I can definitely see what you mean with like the lack of evolution where um, at least with these guys, as you can definitely see that there is a lot of evolution.
0: Of course. And then closing out that evolution with uh, the track white flag. Um, they feature Ryan Hayes from Righteous Vendetta, which is an awesome feature because Righteous Vendetta are just super sick. Okay. Um, I definitely recommend them. They're going to be kind of in that same vein of, um, like, your Christian metalcore, especially, like, right there in the, like, early 2010s. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're right up there with, like, Phineas uh, uh, in the midst of Lions, those kind of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so a really solid band. It was a really cool to see them get featured. and I didn't, honestly didn't even know that they were still doing anything and it's a just a great closer to the album. Um how did you feel about it?
1: I honestly the the
0: the whole groove in the chorus of the
1: song was absolutely fantastic. Um unfortunately there was something about the song that just left me wanting more. Um and it might just be because of how much I enjoyed the record. Um and this song being the way it closes is it, it just it didn't feel like it should have been the way the record closed. I think I, I think it's just that want for more love and death is I just, I it's almost as if I didn't want the record to be done. Mm-hmm. And that may have kind of be where I'm at. um. But the the chorus and the, uh, the groove of it were absolutely fantastic. And again, continuing what they've done really well throughout the entire record.
0: Yeah. The, the, the bridge vocals that were that was where um Ryan was featured. They were just disgusting and it mm-hmm. was fantastic. Like I just, it was it was really nice to kind of hear him get that uh, dirty and disgusting and grungy with it. Like it just it, it was a really solid way to like end off the song, and then like yeah. it goes back into that final chorus, and then it just kind of ends the song. And I understand what you mean, kind of like leaving you wanting a little bit more, just because it was so good that it almost feels like it needs another track just to yeah. give a final cool down. And ten tracks on an album is pretty low, and yeah. I, I, I I can understand that. Um, especially in a world where most albums anymore are going to be 11 to 13 tracks. Yeah. And that's about standard. And I think honestly,
1: I think because we had the sort of prologue type track Mm -hmm. in infamy is if they had something that was a little bit more of an epilogue, kind of like what the last track for the architect's record was, for example, um, it would be a a little bit better of a way to close um, at least in my opinion. But you know, overall it's the, the record was absolutely fantastic. Um, and honestly, I think that might end up being a good way to kind of go into our rating system, where we rate on a scale of one to eight tentacles, with one being absolutely trash
0: and eight being just the hottest thing since sliced bread. Gabe, what's uh, your rating? I, I gotta say, I gotta give this about a seven. Like it's not, it's not perfection. Uh, it wouldn't not worthy of an eight, but at the same time, like the. The all all the songs on there like they're still they have value to them with exception of slow fire really for me mm-hmm. but they have some sort of value to them there's still songs that are gonna be memorable songs that I would want to listen to again and um, overall is gonna be something that I would go back and listen to again multiple times in the future. After I decompress after the 20 some odd times that I've listened to it now. (laughs) (laughs) That's completely fair. And honestly, I'm going to have to rate it the exact same seven out of
1: eight is, um, the only critique, the biggest critique that I have, um, and this is even, this isn't even a a big critique is there felt like it was a little bit of an over-reliance on a formula. Um, the thing is, is their formula that they used was a really good formula. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, it, it's from the first time I listened to the record, it was a pleasure. And every time afterwards was an absolute pleasure. This is a record that I plan to come back to and maybe not even listen to critically, but it's just out, just go back and just listen to just in general and just mm-hmm. enjoy. Um, so seven out of eight, I will willingly listen to this record. And of the records we've reviewed so far,
0: this is my favorite one. Yeah, Absolutely. But that'll be uh that'll be perfectly preserved by Love and Death. I do highly recommend checking out the album. Um but David. before we finish up <laughs> before we finish up today, we're gonna go into the hidden track, which is where we talk about something musically related that isn't necessarily related to this album. Uh Matt, what do you got for us now?
1: So today I wanna actually talk about the newest single released by Beartooth. Uh, the song's called Devastation, and let me tell you it was some devastation, boys. <laughs> so this one is um kind of a it feels a lot more like a callback to early Beartooth talking. We're talking the original EP as well as the first record. And I believe the EP was the sick EP and then Correct. the first record being disgusting. Yep. Um and it just goes back to the Um, metalcore vibe that they had, but it felt a lot more like a hardcore band, a lot more hardcore elements and a lot more punk. Um, And it was just heavy. It was really good. Caleb coming back to just the really hard screaming
0: vocal, uh, but having the really big chorus. So an absolute banger of a track. Yeah. And I I, I would got to say mine's going to be the same thing um, because they released a new track called The Past is Dead. Uh, which is also great. It, it's going to be the both of the songs are going to be on their upcoming record called Below, which is going to be releasing sometime in June, which we will absolutely be discussing when that time comes. Yes, we will. Um, but that that song or that that album seems like it's just going to be a fantastic album, just based off of those two. Uh, again, same thing. Like it just seems like they're calling back to their early days of Sick and Disgusting, and and I was a huge fan whenever they first started. I've always liked mm-hmm. Halo Shomo back when he was back in Attack Attack. Um, And I've kind of just followed him along since. He's been among my favorite frontmen in uh, modern-day metalcore, and that's going to be something that I, I, I'm really happy that they're going to be moving back to that, especially yeah. after they've done like the past couple albums, which is, have been good, but they're just more radio rock good.
1: Yeah. And it, they definitely, they just have, they just didn't quite have the same bite like Sick and Disgusting did mm-hmm. have. Um, And they, they definitely, like you said, they did have a lot of really good elements with those last two records. But unfortunately, it just didn't quite have the same weight to them. Yeah. Um, but seeing Caleb kind of coming back to that gives me a lot of hope. Um, but I'm also trying to just keep it so I, I don't go into it and have the bar set so high that I end up being disappointed. I just don't want that to end up being the case. So uh, I'm going to just try and kind of temper my expectations just so you know just so that way if they end up over exceeding is then it just provides me that kind of joy but you know i'm not going to sit there feeling completely just bummed out you know see unfortunately i'm going
0: to try and do the same and i'm probably going to fail because my hopes are already super high for this album which my hopes have been high for every bear tooth album uh and when they came out with disgusting my my expectations were exceeded at that point. Oh, 100%. And, and then when they came out with subsequent albums, it just like, they had the few singles on there that were really good. And then it just felt like it didn't really quite meet meet up with that, with their, with that debut there. And, um, and until I'm ready to scream along with something like, uh, like beaten in lips or, mm-hmm. uh, the line, uh, it's, I, I'm going to have the expectations for it. And I'm really hoping that they meet it this time
1: so hopefully we don't end up being sad boys (laughs) yes
0: (laughs) cool but that is all that we have for you guys today we appreciate you tuning in please give us a like comment subscribe rate us on itunes spotify or wherever it is that you listen to your podcast and uh, in the meantime we will see you later till the next time y'all